The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, uh, welcome to uh, Buddha Loka Centre this evening. Uh, very nice uh, summery evening for Melbourne. This is maybe summer has arrived. We're not sure yet. <laughs> Always in Melbourne, it's a, it changes so rapidly. We're getting reminders of the nature of reality, moment by moment or day by day. So, and just to uh, introduce myself to those who haven't haven't seen me before or haven't been to this centre before. I'm Ajahn Nisarino, and I'm the senior monk at the Buddhist Society of Victoria's Monastery at Newbury. It's called Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And I've been a monk for um, 25, fully ordained for 25 years, so a little while, and um, I was ordained by Ajahn Brahm in Western Australia, and most of you probably heard of Ajahn Brahm, though I've heard of, I've met people who don't know, do you know Ajahn Brahm, have you heard of him? No, oh you have, you have, yeah, this gentleman hasn't, other people, have you heard of Ajahn Brahm, most people? Yeah, he's on YouTube, exactly, but uh, we tend to think, you know, everybody knows Ajahn Brahm, but he's he's not, (laughs) not universally well known. So uh, so he ordained me in Western Australia, and he's actually um, a really um, quite extraordinary teacher, uh, Buddhist teacher here in Australia and in the world, actually. He's quite famous. And um, so we're very, very lucky to have someone like that who's a real expert in meditation too. So, and uh, I have, uh, during those 25 years, I've been almost 14 years in Sri Lanka, so that was a wonderful experience, and eight of those years was living in a cave on the side of a <clears throat> of a mountain and going for the arms round, going down to the village in the morning, first thing in the morning, <laughs> for food, and then coming back to that cave and living, and then rest of the day not seeing people, mostly. Though of course, sometimes when you're living in a cave in the forest in Sri Lanka, People turn up looking for firewood and <laughs> looking for this and that. So every so often I would uh, see people there. And uh, the format for this evening, it's, uh, it runs from 7.30 to 9 and we usually have an introduction. This is part of the introduction. And then a guided meditation for about 45 minutes and then a Q&A after that if there are any questions or, or comments that people have to make or complaints. That's it. So, and this evening, uh, the theme that I thought uh, to focus on for this evening is coping. This is going to be interesting for people, I think, because it's relevant, I think, to everybody. Hopefully not at this moment. But anyway, coping with stressful thoughts and emotions in meditation and in daily life. It's usually more in daily life um, because very hard to meditate if you're really stressed out or you're you're very emotional to sit down is really tough if you can do that pretty good so this is what we'll be focusing on coping with stressful uh, thoughts and emotions that we experience and of course uh, one of the things that uh, um, I I taught this actually recently at uh, the immigration museum strange isn't it having meditation at the museum (laughs) And we did a five-week series 
to a very small group, but fantastic space. I don't know if you've been there. Very big rooms and uh, quite very quite old. You know, probably um, late eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds. So it's a, it's a very nice space. And so I was asked to teach a meditation based on this too. So I thought, oh, this is quite useful for this evening. And also recently someone spoke to me about uh, how they were experiencing uh, these sort of stressful thoughts and uh, emotions. And they were sort of like locked in, you know, they're just repeating over and over again and uh, feeling like the mind is really um, sinking or losing its balance. And I think, um, I think most of us, haven't we, experienced situations like this? Have you experienced situations like this? The mind is out of control and uh, you just sort of think, oh my goodness, you don't want to think these thoughts, you don't want to focus on these emotions that are coming up, but it's just sort of like locked in and uh, we can't break out of it. So this is actually quite a useful subject and I think quite practical. And even though most of you, I hope all of you actually, are not experiencing stressful thoughts at this very moment and stressful emotions, um, it nevertheless helps to do a meditation like this, just as at the monastery we do fire drills every year. <laughs> it's only once a year, so every, every year it's sort of like a rerun and we're all thinking, oh, what to do? And, but we have our sort of guideline. But... To actually go through something, uh, to prepare, to do a drill, is actually very useful because when we come to the situation, we're a bit more focused, we have a bit of an idea of how to deal with it. So this meditation, even though you may not be feeling particularly stressed, <laughs> can be helpful when you are stressed. And uh, it will focus on a few um, things we can do, a few different ways we can refocus the mind. So and when, this is, when the mind is caught up in, um, like it's really focusing and the focus is on these stressful thoughts, they're just running, the emotions are running <laughs> and we can't, we, we can't break out of it. And I liken this to when we have the hand in front of the face, we can't see anything. Well, not much. I can see a little bit. I can see a little bit. We can just see the hand. And that's like these stressful thoughts. We're really just focused on the, the focus is really right in our face and we can't see uh, a wider perspective. We can't see beyond that hand. Just as when we have these strong emotions and strong um, stressful thoughts, we can't see beyond them. They seem to overwhelm. They fill the whole of our vision like this hand almost does uh, for me. So this is something um, that we, we can work with. And of course, you know, the um, uh, meditation and spiritual practice in general is about working with what we experience. And this, this is, this is this, the, uh, the focus of meditation too, working with what we experience. And of course, a spiritual life is what we experience. It's not, uh, you know, for instance, just coming to a Buddhist center or a church or whatever it is. 
Um, and that's the, our spiritual life. It isn't. Our spiritual life is 24-7. <laughs> we have to look after our minds. And this is a very important part of it. And learning. This is what we learn from our experience, isn't it? That we learn so much about the mind. And we learn what things uh, make it difficult for us. What things bring up stressful thoughts, bring up stressful emotions. Usually, when we have stressful thoughts, the emotions come with them, <laughs> don't they? You see that. When we, for instance, when we are angry, uh, or you know, when we're thinking about some uh, something, a situation that's occurred during the day, somebody has said something to us, and and we replay this. We think about it. How dare they say that? And then we replay what they said, <laughs> and we go over and over and again, and it winds us up. And so you can see the connection between thinking and. The emotions are very, very closely related. Um, but what it does, I think for anybody who, uh, you know, sort of investigates life and investigates their experience, it makes you wonder, do I really own this mind? Do I really own this thinking? Do I really own these emotions? Do I control them? this is one of the definitions the Buddha uses, you know, if, if this was myself, it would be something I could control. It's also something that wouldn't give rise to um, suffering or unsatisfactoriness. And so it's, it's a, a, a very interesting proposition, really, to think, well, maybe these thoughts and these emotions, they're not me, they're not mine. Maybe they're arising from causes and conditions that are, you know, present at that time. Maybe they're like the weather, the storms that come and go here in Melbourne. <laughs> and uh, they come according to, you know, the weather conditions, isn't it? Low pressures, high pressures, all this sort of thing. So it's a, if we actually see things like that, it makes um, spiritual practice much, much more easy because when we're totally identified with these thoughts, they're my thoughts. They're true. Um, when they are out, my emotions, they are me. We don't have much space to investigate them. But if we actually took on board or even worked on the hypothesis, maybe these are just products of causes and conditions. They're not me. They're not mine. And so we can actually investigate them a lot, lot more if we have that attitude. It's not easy for most people who haven't got a Buddhist background. That maybe sounds like, wow, far out. <laughs> Doesn't it? They probably think, yeah, wow, mm, maybe, you know, because it, it does. If, unless you have an understanding of Buddhist teaching, you might think, yeah, well, because in Buddhism, the body and the mind both of them are a process that we have mistakenly taken as me, mine, myself. But uh, as I say to people, one of the basic um, things that is very, very aware of is we can't control these bodies and minds that much. And I mean, people say, oh, of course we can, but wait until the body gets old. <laughs> can't walk as much, can't do this, can't do that. I'm finding that. 
and with the mind. People say, oh, no, I'm in charge of the mind. And then they get depressed and they get anxious and they get worried and they get this and that. And they say, yeah, I'm in control. This is my mind, my thoughts. And uh, so this actually, this idea, this concept that uh, it's coming from causes and conditions can be very, very useful. And it can, it can actually diffuse things a lot. Um, so it's a, I think they call it in psychology probably um, skillful disassociation, something like that. Sometimes people disassociate unskillfully. And they are, you know, they just they're just denying what they're experiencing and so on. But that's not the case with this. We understand where this idea is coming from. And so um, the when we have stressful thoughts and uh, stressful emotions, my goodness, we haven't got far. <laughs> the, the essential we need what I call emotional first aid, and it's definitely for sure. We need some emotional first aid. And one of the essential principles of a time of stress and, and emotional turbulence is really to give the mind some work so that it's not so focused on what is really preoccupying it, what's giving us grief, what's giving the mind grief. So this is very useful because it changes the focus. And this can be very helpful. And we're doing it um, mindfully. We're aware of what we're doing. And, of course, one of the first things that is very, very helpful when we're really upset, and I think most people know this, they use it for when, we, when one's angry, is breathing, isn't it? The breath is actually a very, very calming um, experience for us most of the time. This is another thing that shows us non-self too, is because who's breathing? Am I breathing? No, the body's breathing by itself. I often say to people, if I was doing the breathing, I would have forgotten about it, and the body would have died years ago. <laughs> so it's happening by itself. And this is an important thing in meditation too. Sometimes when people pay attention to their breath, they start controlling it. And uh, it gets very uncomfortable. It's very unnatural. And this is not the point in meditation, of course. So with the breathing, I like to... The breathing has a very... Uh, it's a wonderful effect. It's calming, and it also stabilizes the mind. It reduces thinking um, for a short time. So it can be very, very useful. And I like... Uh, I teach a, a breathing technique that um, I learned from the internet. <laughs> there are some good things on the internet. Sometimes people say, oh, no, all those conspiracy theories. <laughs> and this is called the 478 breathing technique. And so I'll introduce it tonight. Very, very useful for dealing, especially with stress or anxiety, when the mind is really disturbed. And uh, it's, it's taught on the internet by Dr. Andrew Weil, W-E-I-L. He's quite a famous uh, um, natural, um, uh, what do you say, natural therapies um, uh, teacher in America. He's actually a doctor, medical doctor, and he's combining um, these alternative, complementary, I think they call it complementary medicine, that sort of idea. 
And uh, so this actually is very, very useful. And I'll, I'll give a demonstration of it because it's so simple and so quick that um, it is uh, something one can use um, uh, any time. There is, not only when we're stressed, but it's very good preparation for the mind. So we do it a maximum of four times, and I'll demonstrate it as, so it gives you an idea. And the first part of it is breathing in through the nostrils four times. No, first of all, yeah, we breathe out through the nostrils four times, empty the breath, empty the lungs, and then we can breathe in four times to the count of four. And then we hold it for a count of seven. And then we breathe out to a count of eight. <sighs> Through the mouth. So that, that is basically it. And I'll do it another, we do it a maximum of four times at any one session. So it only takes about a minute to do. But you'll, you'll find you can try it for yourself when we do the meditation. I'll do it guided. And, um, and that way you can just see what effect it has on the mind and the thinking. And let's see, yeah, that's good. So I'll just do that another three times. <sighs> you only need to do that once when you begin. When you're breathing out through your mouth, you can purse the, the tongue a bit, uh, the uh, lips a bit, and the tongue is resting at the back of the upper teeth. That's the usual position for it. And uh, who knows why that is, <laughs> but it's an ancient, ancient breathing technique. So again, uh, in, uh, breathing into a count of four, first. I'll, I'll take you through it when we're doing the meditation, at the beginning of the meditation. So breath is very important when we're upset, when we're stressed. Very, very useful. If you don't remember this four, seven, eight breath, um, then you can just do deep breathing. If you want to see more about or a, a longer um, a demonstration of this, you can see there's a, a video on the internet by Dr. Andrew Weil called uh, Asleep in 60 Seconds. It's not true. I don't think so. I've done it at night. <laughs> I've not been asleep in 60 seconds. But it is actually very relaxing. And, uh, and if people suffer from insomnia, that's very useful too. But the most important thing when we're stressed, what's that? It's our attitude to ourselves attitude to, and it's very important in life, generally in life, but particularly you see it in meditation, because meditation's a bit like a laboratory. <laughs> You're seeing what's going on in the mind close up. So this attitude that's very useful in life and essential in meditation and spiritual practice is this friendliness and kindness uh, to what we're experiencing. 
Um, and if that is what we're experiencing as stressful thoughts and uh, stressful emotions, we, we're being kind and friendly to them, developing acceptance of them too, accepting them as they are, because this is what's arrived now. The usual response when we have these unpleasant uh, thoughts, unpleasant emotions or feelings, we want to get rid of them. Get out of here. <laughs> and anybody that's tried to uh, get them rid of them like that will find, of course, it just increases them and increases our frustration. So we're not making war with our experience. We're accepting it. We're being friendly and we're being kind to it. And that way the situation can change and they can, uh, we can uh, um, let go because these are all skillful ways of letting go of things um, and having this kindness and friendliness acceptance can allow things to cease. We call this metta in the, um, the Buddhist, in Buddhist terms. This is sometimes called loving kindness. I prefer friendliness or kindness. It's uh, something that people are more familiar with. And it gives, if we have that attitude towards ourselves. It gives this feeling of support, stability to the mind and a sense of security too at a time when we're feeling vulnerable, feeling upset, disturbed. And at those times too, very useful to use mantras like, it'll be okay. <laughs> That's quite nice. Or I'm here for you. This is being your own best friend, uh, this friendliness. And this will pass, it will change. And that's quite useful too. Other things one can do at a very difficult emotional time and very, very useful is walking meditation, just walking up and down um, and uh, uh, noticing the feet, uh, walking, and having this attitude of friendliness to what we're experiencing. We can combine it with the walking actually. This being our own best friend, like someone that's there for us, that we can rely on. This is a very good attitude to have. And of course, walking in nature is even uh, is is great, because if we if we're really upset, going to a park, going to a national park, whatever. When we're in nature, it really calms the mind down. It's extraordinary how effective it is. And uh, so this is something we can do. And when we walk, um, the ideal is not to be walking, naming things, just letting things be, just walking, you know. And of course, when we have <laughs> disturbing thoughts or strong emotions running, that's not easy because that will tend to be there. But nevertheless, this can be very useful. Other things we can do are, in the, for Buddhists particularly, if you know some chanting, this is very calming for a person, actually. And you can even use it in meditation when the mind is really all over the place. Just do a bit of chanting, whether it's uh, we have chants like Namo Tassa and these other, Iti Piso, these are well-known chants in, um, in Buddhism. So that can be useful. But this evening I was going to teach what uh, um, recently that person I mentioned who was very upset and the mind was very disturbed, she found this suggestion very useful, and that is focusing on spaciousness. You know, like in when you're in nature, just standing on a beach or standing on a hill, 
and you're seeing the horizon. Or you can be in a desert, or you can be looking at the stars, even that's very spacious. And the mind, the effect that it has on the mind is it opens up, it almost becomes spacious, uh, like what it's seeing, what you're observing. And when that happens, then that tight focus on what's right in front of us, that hand, it, you start to see beyond it, and that, that hand can drop or get further and further away. So it's a very useful um, uh, thing to, br- to do physically, but we can do it in our minds too. We can bring to mind a place, a beach, uh, you know, a hilltop. We've all had these experiences. And the experience, that the effect it has on the mind, you know, for me, when I see the sea and the horizon, very relaxing, and all those things that we get so hung up about, so caught up with, they sort of drop away when we have this, um, this very panoramic um, view that we are, we're witnessing, we're seeing. So this can be very useful. And what it gives rise to for me, and it is a bit warm, I think, (laughs) in here, that's right. What happens when the mind relaxes, it also gives this feeling of freedom, doesn't it? That we're free of that particular thing that's really been obsessing us. And it it gives the mind this perspective and it opens it up. So this is, uh, can be very, very useful. And um, the last thing I was going to mention before we start the meditation, very good, <laughs> is using, um, use, well, I call it using wisdom. And uh, for instance, as I mentioned at the beginning, not regarding these thoughts and emotions as us or that we own them. Um, as they're not me, they're not mine, they're not myself. They're arising from a cause, from causes and conditions. That's why they've come up at this particular moment. They haven't come up from uh, a me. And when we, when we use this approach, it's a bit like when we're on the tram or we're on the train or we're at home and we hear the neighbours talking. We don't get upset and worried about the conversations we hear, unless they talk about us, <laughs> isn't it? We just think, well, that's their business, you know. And uh, even if, you know, we hear some of the things you hear sometimes, you know, it's very extraordinary these days with the mobile phone. You hear people's lives as you're travelling in a train or in a tram. But it's not, we don't take it personally. We may feel um, some somewhat... Uh, sad for that person or sorry for that person that they're in that situation but we don't regard it as me or mine in the same way we can think of these thoughts and these emotions in the in that light they're not me they're not mine they are just things that are passing through the mind like the weather here in melbourne (laughs) everywhere (laughs) so that's a possibility too for us uh, a skillful way to deal with these negative emotions, the stressful thoughts, and realizing so much, isn't it, of stress is really the way we're thinking. It's, it's, it's what winds us up. You know, I've got so much to do, I've got no time to do it. You know, all these things. 
many, you know, that's, that's time stress. There are many other stresses that we can have in life. So I'd like to finish there, and uh, I don't know if there's... Uh, we'll have the Q&A afterwards. Are there any questions, though, that, about any of that? No? Any complaints? <laughs> no. All right. So now we can do the guided meditation for coping with stressful thoughts and emotions. And as I mentioned, some of the things I talked about will appear in this meditation. So the first thing we can do is find a comfortable position, make sure we're, we're reasonably comfortable. And we can come into the present. And when we're in the present, it's a safe place. It's a place we can leave past hurts behind and future fears and stresses behind, just here in the present moment. It's a place we're often not so familiar with. And right. And we can do the breathing. We can start with the breathing to bring us into the present moment. Exhaling all the breath. We can exhale it through the mouth. And breathe in through the nose to count to four. One, two, three, four. And to hold the breath for one, two, three, four, five six, seven, and exhale it through the mouth, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and inhale through the nose, one, two, three, four, and to hold it for seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and to exhale through the mouth, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and to inhale through the nose, one, two, three, four, and to hold it for seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and exhale through the nose, through the mouth, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and last one, one, to inhale through the nose, one, two, three, four, and to hold it for seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale through the nose, mouth, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And just to experience what we're feeling now, how does that feel? Now we can bring to mind to have the intention or attitude of being kind, being friendly, making peace with any stressful thoughts 
or emotions or whatever we're experiencing. Sometimes it's tiredness, sometimes it's restlessness in the mind, sometimes it's doubt in the mind. Whatever it is, accepting what we're experiencing, being kind, And we can have this friendliness, this being our own best friend, to the body, just checking out how the body is. Is it uh, feeling balanced? Is the head balanced over the shoulders and the shoulders over the hips? Is it feeling comfortable? Are the hands in a good position? Either... They can be on the lap, the knees, however one finds comfortable. How are the legs? Just checking it out and making any adjustments we need to. Now we can mentally relax the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes. Starting with the head, the top of the head, the back of the head, sides of the head. And relaxing and soothing with this warm, kind, friendly attention. And then moving the attention down to the forehead, around the cheeks of the face, around the eyes and around the mouth. Soothing them, relaxing them, being friendly and kind to the face. Moving the attention down to the neck, all around the neck. Soothing it, giving it a mental massage. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the left shoulder, soothing and relaxing the left shoulder, letting go of any tension, of any strain, 
any stiffness in the left shoulder. Now bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers, soothing them with this kind, caring, warm attention. Now bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder, soothing it and relaxing any stiffness, any tightness, any tension. We carry so much on our shoulders. Now we can bring to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention all around the right arm to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and the fingers, soothing them with this warm, relaxing, friendly attention. Now bringing to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention down the back to relax, to soothe, to give the back a mental massage. Now we can bring to mind the front of the body starting below the shoulders and moving our attention down the front of the body to include the chest, 
the diaphragm area, the stomach and the abdomen, soothing them, relaxing any tightness, any pressure, giving this warm, relaxing, friendly attention. Now we can bring to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg all around it to include the knee, the ankle, the foot and toes, giving it a mental massage, relaxing it with its kindness and friendliness. And now bringing to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention all around the right leg to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes. Soothing the right leg, giving the right leg a mental massage. And now we can become aware of the whole body, just sitting, relaxed, comfortable, at ease, sitting here in the present moment, just experiencing whatever we're aware of.
sounds, temperature, feelings in the body, contact with the chair, the breath coming and going, whatever it is, we're aware of, moment by moment. Now we can imagine that we are somewhere with a panoramic view. Yes, see the horizon. Maybe it's on a beach or a hilltop, in a desert, on the ocean, or looking at the sky. We can remember a place we've been. It's like that. And we can see what effect it has on the mind. Does it become wide and panoramic like the view? And we can get in touch with the feeling that arises from this spaciousness that we are imagining, this place. With a panoramic view. There may be a feeling of freedom of peace, whatever. And we can breathe in 
this feeling of spaciousness, of peace, or whatever. Breathe it in and breathe it out. And we can use a mantra like making peace. We breathe in and breathe out. This feeling of spaciousness, of openness, breathing it in and breathing it out. And if the mind wanders off, we can just remember that place, or maybe the night sky, the vastness, the emptiness. Breathing in that feeling and breathing it out. With this mantra of making peace, what I'm experiencing.
And if there's any area that we uh, feel that is the area in the body where we experience these stressful thoughts or emotions, we can breathe through those areas with this spaciousness, this vastness, this openness, this peace. Breathing in with this spacious feeling of this spaciousness, openness, and breathing out, making peace as we breathe in, making peace as we breathe out through that area.
And now, we're, as we're coming close to the end of the meditation, we can share this whatever feelings we have developed during the meditation, feelings of spaciousness, of vastness, of peace, of freedom. Share it with everyone here in this hall. And we can expand this feeling to share it with those that are listening to this live streaming of this meditation. This spaciousness, this feeling of space, vastness, of peace, of ease, of calm. And we can expand this feeling around us, wherever we are, around this hall, or for those listening online, around where you are, expanding the feeling of spaciousness, vastness, peace, peace, calm, whatever feelings we experienced, sharing them with all the beings around us human beings, animals, whatever beings. And we can expand it further and further until we cover the whole world. Now we can just reflect for a few moments and to ask ourselves how we feel now. How do I feel now? Is there more spaciousness in the mind? Is there less thinking and emotions in the mind? and in the body. Was there more space in the mind, or peace, or acceptance? the focus of the mind open 
more, widen more, like a hand opening. And what helped the mind to let go of thoughts, of emotions? And what else did I learn? And we can make the aspiration or intention to value spaciousness and peace in the mind, to really enjoy it and to really develop it so that you make peace with stressful thoughts and emotions whenever they arise due to causes and conditions. And now I'll ring the bell three times. On the third time, if you like to come out of meditation, if you wish to, or if you wish to continue, please do. And so we can slowly open the eyes and move the body, making it more comfortable. Oh, so, so I hope you found that uh, meditation useful and maybe it's like a fire drill we <laughs> makes prepares us for when we get to difficult situations and we have a few um, options for dealing with them usually when we get to difficult situations we forget <laughs> but even if we remember something we found useful you know just to remember to breathe that's that's helpful and if you um, want to um, check up about this four, seven, eight breathing. As I mentioned on YouTube, it's under the asleep in 60 seconds. If you put that in, see you then. Yeah. Um, you can see the video and that will remind you. But it's very simple because it's uh, breathe out. It should be exhaled all the air in the lungs through the mouth, then inhale through the nose four times, four to a count of four, hold for a count of seven and then exhale through the mouth to a count of eight, and to keep the tongue at the back of the uh, top of the, the teeth at the back, where the teeth meet the, uh, 
the roof of the mouth. And uh, to do it four times maximum is good. And then during the day or at other times, you can repeat it as often as you like. But it's a very helpful um, tool to use. And uh, um, I think I can recommend that one from my own experience. (laughs) And uh, if you see the video, you may find that very helpful too. So, and of course, one of the things that I mentioned at at the beginning was that we all find ourselves in these situations from time to time. So I'd just like to ask, was there anything that, you, that uh, people found particularly useful in stressful times or in times when there's a lot of uh, emotion uh, coming up? Was there something that really worked for you? See, this is Q&A in reverse. <laughs> I asked the questions. <laughs> I'm asking for the answers from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, something physical, isn't it? Isn't it good because we're really in the mind, I think, you know, caught up with emotions and in the heart. So anything physical is usually pretty good. That's why breathing works, I think, because it's physical. Walking works because it's physical. Any other other things people found worked for them? And I think the thing with these situations, people shouldn't feel, it's only me. It's not. (laughs) It's the whole of humanity, actually. Human beings, this is part of being a human being. Yeah. Did anybody try um, or think of using uh, that that Buddhist idea that these are not uh, my thoughts and emotions, that I don't own them? They are things that are passing through my mind and uh, through my heart due to cause and condition. Anyone try that or use that at all? Sometimes that's very helpful. I think for people who are not used to um, Buddhist terminology or this, these, some of the ideas in Buddhism, it sounds weird. <laughs> but it is very useful if you think of it as somebody like, uh, like somebody in the train or the tram that said, hearing their conversation. And uh, then we are are more likely to be able to investigate it, actually, and think, wow, gee, this is, you know, is this true? (laughs) And look at it. Because a lot of these things, we, because we're being it, we have no space to look at it at all. But when we stand back a bit, we can. So with any uh, comments, questions or complaints... That's great. You all pass the test. <laughs> because usually, if we have lots of comments, questions, or complaints for that matter, the meditation probably hasn't worked well. <laughs> because for all of us, when we meditate, the thinking usually goes down, um, just generally. Um, um, so this is a good, a good indication, really, that the meditation has worked. Because most often, we have so many thoughts and comments and descriptions and emotions coming up in the mind. So 
meditation is here for stilling the mind, calming the mind, and, br- and ma- while it's still alert, still bright, keeping that brightness, that mindfulness, that awareness um, sharp, but relaxing and and letting go of the thinking, increasing our knowing. Because in actual fact, when we think a lot, it really cuts down on what we can know. You might think that odd, but thinking is like a, um, like a smoke screen, you know, that obscures what's actually going on. And we might be having a commentary about it, might be complaining about it, whatever we're doing. But in actual fact, when we've got thinking going, we can't see clearly. When we've got strong emotions going in our minds, when we have any of these negative emotions going, wanting a lot, wanting to get rid of things, having anger, aversion, having tiredness and sleepiness, having restlessness, or really regretting, worrying about what we've done and said, or doubting what we're doing or whether we're capable of doing something. When these negative emotions are going, it's really not possible to see very clearly. And of course, the, clear, the mind that is still quiet and clear and uh, has none of these or less of these negative emotions can see so much more what's going on in this body and mind and understand the nature of reality, really. That's what it's aimed, you know, aims at doing, increasing our wisdom, understanding of the world. So, Ignacio, are there any online questions? Um, thank you, Arjun. Thank uh, you for looking after this evening's live streaming and the technical side. That's great. There are actually a fair bit of online questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I often wonder what they're doing on, at home. <laughs> they're eating their dinner and listening or, <laughs> or having a shower and listening. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I'll just start with the first one. Yeah. Um, Ajahn, I'm bipolar and struggling to distinguish between the fruits of practice yeah. and um, symptoms of mania. All right. Um, yeah. Not expecting clinical advice, just hoping if you could expand on the wholesome. Um, I felt a lot of relief recently and it came with insight, but also distorted thoughts. Oh, all right. And distorted thoughts as well. Yeah. Yes, I think uh, with um, bipolar especially, because um, there's the uh, two aspects usually, isn't there? Sort of mania and, and uh, the, you know, when we have a lot of um, uh, thinking, a lot of um, excitement in the mind, and then the other times with depression and things like that. So at those, um, for, for someone experiencing something like that, peace and calm is very, very useful at making peace with what we experience is very useful. Accepting what is happening now is a very useful way to deal with experience. And that doesn't mean that we have to act on it, but just to accept it. Because often our lives are full of conflict with what we're experiencing. We're in conflict with reality. And it's arrived. It's here. (laughs) And so really our job is to accept it, have a wholesome emotion uh, towards it, have a good state of mind towards what we're experiencing. And two negatives don't make a positive <laughs> in, in, in terms of our minds. If we get negative about what we're experiencing, I don't want this. 
it's really just adding a negative to the mind, more aversion to the mind. And particularly when we're meditating, that's absolutely, it's adding to the hindrances, adding to the difficulty of calming the mind, stilling the mind, bringing more power and clarity and purity to the mind. So I think this making peace is is, um, very helpful for us. And also with all of our emotions, with all the difficult situations we face, see you, Jack, (laughs) realizing that... um, this, this too will pass, you know. This is not permanent. It's like the weather. It will come and go. That can be very, very helpful for us, just to keep it in perspective. When we have negative emotions, you know, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling depressed, whatever it is, it feels like it's here forever. <laughs> it's here to stay. Of course, that's not true. It's, it's conning us to believe that. But when there's that sort of glimmer that this is something passing through the mind and something that's not me, not, not mine, not myself, um, it's arising and I'm experiencing it. There's no point in denying it. <laughs> I am, we're experiencing it, but we don't have to own it and just to let it be. Um, like, you know, a, a wild animal, you know, if we see... Um, uh, a lion or a tiger. I was going to say kangaroo, but they're not so fierce. <laughs> if we don't, or a snake. This is Ajahn Shah's example, actually, a famous meditation teacher. If we see a cobra, he's talking about a cobra, if we don't pick it up, it's not going to bite us. If we stand, if we move away from it, if we avoid it, if we just, um, we don't engage with it, then we're safe. But if we try to pick it up, if we walk on it, of course it's going to bite. And uh, this is the nature of, of, of what we experience in the mind too. If we pick it up, if we own it, if it's me, then it's a real hassle. <laughs> then it's real suffering. But if we, we uh, look on these things that come into our minds and our hearts, these emotions, these thoughts, as visitors that come and go, they've come from a cause and condition. Course, you know, there's a reason that it's there, that we've been focusing on some particular thing, and that's just reoccurring. It's replaying uh, often again and again, as I mentioned earlier. So I think these are some sort of skillful ways of dealing with you know, a bipolar, but uh, to see it as conditions like the weather that's coming and going, that can be very, very helpful for us. And, uh, um, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, yeah, some suggestions anyway, yeah. Oh, thank you, Ajahn. Mm. Uh, the next question... Yeah. As a young man, one of uh, my big problems in my meditation is sexual thoughts and desires, mm. which overwhelms and stops my whole meditation. Any advice, please? Yeah, I think this is, uh, uh, you're not alone, <laughs> that's what I would say, because it's a very common experience in, in meditation that the mind, uh, when we settle into meditation, the mind's often looking for distraction and it will start to recall, you know, uh, sexual encounters or fantasies about them, images that we have seen, and the mind will get caught up in these images and uh, get um, 
absorbed into them. And this derails the meditation, of course, because we just the mind gets churned up with with these things. But we realize that these are just thoughts, you know, that are coming into the mind. These are just fantasies. They're not real. Um, it's even, you know, the whole of pornography too is based on images, isn't it? Images, they're not real. They're, they're images of something that happened and uh, are constructed, um, are meant to um, elicit a response from the viewer, <laughs> to really drag the viewer in into them. And uh, so this is something that uh, we... Uh, we we can see, we can uh, we we can recognise in ourselves. Everybody has this to some degree or rather, except for an enlightened being. So, the Buddha often recommended, you know, in those cases, you know, when there is a lot of sexual desire in the mind, is to use just to reflect on the nature of the body, one's own body. And all bodies are pretty much the same, whether it be a male or female body. <laughs> you know, just the the nature of the body, the unattractive nature of the body. The reason this is called a suba meditation, and um, it can be um, very useful just to see the unattractive aspects of the body, that we urinate, we defecate, we sweat, we smell um, these things that we age, that these uh, um, beautiful bodies all age. This is quite a, a sobering thing to see. You see the great beauties of, of past, you know, the great actresses, actors, very handsome, very beautiful. You see them now, 80, 70, 80 or 90, you know, and they're old people. There's this body that they've so identified with that's been their, their meal ticket, <laughs> is now, you know, ready to expire because bodies are of that nature. So some of these reflections can be very useful. One of the things that um, uh, can be, I, I have found it very useful myself, is if there is an image in mind to actually re-add um, some unattractive features to it, <laughs> you know. And uh, this actually, it sounds a bit... Um, unbelievable, but the what we are reacting to is not a real uh, a real person, a real um, experience. It's a mental experience. It's a mental. Um, we call it the subanimata. We're looking. We're seeing this what we consider to be beautiful, and we're absorbing into that image. What we can do is just add a few pimples, <laughs> bit of bit of uh, extra hair here and there or, you know, anything that we find unattractive. You know, so some people it's to, uh, to add a bit of weight to the body so it looks fat um, in the mind. And ex extraordinary as it may sound, you might think this is far-fetched, but monks actually have a lot more experience with this sort of working with these things than, than many uh, lay people do because it's a natural thing, you know, because we're celibate. Of course, you know, these, this, we've got to deal with these sorts of sexual thoughts that will come up from time to time. And the Buddha has given us teachings about it. So I would really recommend that when the image comes to mind, you can even make fun of it. 
you know, put something in the image that is funny and just experiment with that. See if it works for you because it, it does for me and uh, it's very, very, very useful. And we realize we're just being sucked in. We're being manipulated. This can be another helpful thing by these images, by this conditioning that makes it, uh, you know, this form very attractive and we are really... Um, this is probably from lifetimes, actually, not just this lifetime. So this is one of the, um, really one of the taproots of, of samsara, being born again, being born again and again, rebirth, we still call it in Buddhism. It is one of the things that keeps us in getting reborn. It's this interest in our five sense experience, but particularly sexuality is a very strong one that... So it's, I say to people, you know, because sometimes when monks, for instance, have a lot of sexual desire, they feel like, wow, I'm really failing in the practice. You know, if I could only deal with this, then I could really practice. And I say to them, this is our practice. <laughs> Anybody that can deal with such a powerful thing as sexuality and sexual uh, image, sexual thoughts, uh, sexual attraction, this is really major to be able to deal with that, to really get a handle on, to, on it, to really understand it. It's really understanding that makes it possible. So I wish you well for it. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big one uh, to deal with. And of course, you know, one of the things that I just mentioned too is to be aware of the inputs we're having into our mind. The Buddha calls this sense restraint. So... If, for instance, you're having a lot of these fantasies and uh, sexual thoughts and sexual desires while you're meditating, is it because during the day I'm seeing images that really bring up this uh, sexual desire? Am I actually feeding those states of mind? Because it could well be the case. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, hard to avoid because we see sexuality, advertising is drenched in it. If you lived in a, like I lived in Sri Lanka for 14 years, and you come back to the West and you think, wow, they sell everything, you know, according to sexual tra uh, attraction, you know, beautiful women, beautiful man, it goes on. And it's really just selling whatever it is. And, and though people say, wow, I'm not influenced by that, then they go out and buy it still. <laughs> because they think they will look sexy or they'll look this or that, or attractive. So watch the inputs, watch what's, what we're feeding into the mind. And of course, this is one of the very big teachings of the Buddha, sense restraint, watching out for what we see, hear, smell, taste and touch and what we make of it in the mind, because that's really fueling um, a lot of desire, uh, a lot of aversion, and a lot of delusion, we say, you know, looking, delusion, sense of self, we, we call that a delusion in Buddhism, all these things. So it's very important, because if you sit down to meditate, it's like um, if you want to be healthy and you're eating all this junk food, it's not going to work. <laughs> you're not going to get healthy. And if you, if you don't do um, exercise, probably the body won't be healthy either, you know. So just look at the inputs that one has during the day um, in 
and, and not seeking out things that will make it worse. When we want to put out a fire, we don't throw more wood on. <laughs> and I think that's often the case that we do. And these things, like sexuality, is a very good example. It's, a, it's, a, it's like any of the five senses. It can become a real addiction. And uh, people know when an addiction is running, they have next to no choice. <laughs> it will just run, that frame of mind, that loop will run, the addiction will run. It will make the person do whatever that addiction is, whether it be drugs, whether it be sex, whether it be food, um, any of the five senses, really. It can be anything. So um, that's what I'd recommend for, for you. But try, try redecorating the image that comes up. Make it, if you make it laughable, one thing that really uh, ruins sexual attraction is sense of humour. <laughs> It just evaporates because it's such a serious sort of preoccupation of the mind. We're taking it very, very seriously. But if you really uh, redesign the image, and it's possible because only an image inside, you know, adds something really silly or whatever. You know, some people black out teeth like kids do and all <laughs> that idea. It can be uh, quite, uh, quite, quite good. It turns the mind off it. And this is what we need to balance the mind. Um, and uh, bring it to peace. So thank you very much for that question. And you're not alone in this. This is the whole world is struggling with it. So <laughs> this is a very common, common thing. Yeah. So I'd like to finish off there. And uh, for those who'd like to, we can pay respects to the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha. That's what we usually do. Just by bowing three times we do.